0: Dude, we are going to energise the
1: country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr Nice Guy. Another future's possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the debated podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by a returning guest, Anthony Tucker, who is the Labour Party's candidate for Earlsdon in next year's local elections. Welcome back to the podcast, Anthony. Thank
0: you for having me again. It's great to be back.
1: Um, So the first question uh, that I'd like to ask is, what made you decide uh, to stand in next year's local elections?
0: Um, Thanks for the question. Um, I think for me, it all comes down to representing my local area. I live in the ward. um, I live in Ellison Ward. I'm very proud to live where I am. And knowing the great work that our other Labour councillors had been doing, I wanted to join the team and give what I could to make the area where I live that much better.
1: Uh, What do you think are the priorities for people who live in Earlston when it comes to uh, the council and council elections?
0: I think they want uh, a council that reacts to their needs and isn't afraid of thinking outside the box. We have seen... The, uh, the reaction to the climate emergency has elicited an awful lot of activism from within Coventry and indeed within Ellsdon Ward. So schemes including greener housing, uh, greener transport and the provision of electric charging points, for one example, is something that Ellsdon residents have demanded more and more. But also we're blessed to have a lot of great community groups who have helped keep people fed through food banks, who combat isolation with the elderly and who have formed mutual aid societies to combat the problems of coronavirus. And I want to be a voice and a beacon for those to help them, help the people of Ulston by cooperating with the council.
1: Um, what are your feelings about uh, the makeup of the local uh, council at the moment? Where do you think uh, there are issues in terms of their connection with the local community. Do you think there are issues in terms of their connection with the local community?
0: I mean, I can only speak for, for my ward, um, but we've seen a fantastic improvement in recent years. My um, my colleagues to be, hopefully, uh, won their seats the first time ever. Uh, my ward used to be three Conservative councillors. And then for the first time in 20 years, we managed to get a Labour councillor elected in uh, 2017, And then we managed to do it again the next year. So fingers crossed, we can do it again. And that more cooperative ethos has really tied into some fantastic work. I'm I'm really lucky, Becky and Kindy, and I'm hoping to be able to work with them in many years to come.
1: Um, Now, of course, uh, as you mentioned uh, there, there has been uh, in the past couple of years, uh, a great deal of success for the Labour Party in um, your particular uh, part of Warwickshire. Why do you think that there has been Uh, this change in support and and this renewed support uh, for the Labour Party in the Earlton area and around it?
0: Um, I can only say that I'd like to think it's because people are attracted by our policies, because we are trying to engage people in the terms that they care about, not rather trotting out old slogans, but engaging people in, in new campaigns. Um, I think it's really a testament down to the excellent candidates and above all our fantastic volunteers who have really said no to naysayers and defied them and campaigned in an area that for many years people thought would always be would always be Tory would always be blue. Um, so it's it's their victory really more than anyone else's.
1: Um, now, two of the issues that have. Um perhaps dog the Labour Party in the last few years, have uh, been accusations of um, anti-Semitism in the Labour Party and uh, more recently as well, uh, transphobia uh, in the Labour Party. Uh, how well do you think the um, Labour Party has dealt with these issues and how would you ensure uh, if uh, elected that you would be able to ensure that these issues were dealt with um, properly?
0: Thank you, yeah. No, I have absolutely zero time for uh, anti-Semitism or transphobia, all those who would seek to deny its um, poisonous influence in our politics. Um, I think from talking to uh, my friends who are in the Jewish Labour movement that they are encouraged by the steps Kira Kier has taken so far in expanding anti-Semites, in dealing with the culture that has taken root in certain parts of the party. More can always be done, but there has been... A positive reaction so far, and all I can say is I'm willing to play my part in ensuring that that the Labour Party has the stain of anti-Semitism removed for it um, forever and for good. Um, as far as transphobia is concerned, this is this is something that um, I have to um, think about a lot when talking to the trans members of LGBT Labour West Midlands, of which I am uh, one of the co-chairs, uh, and it is it is profoundly worrying that what started as a essentially a fringe movement uh in the start of start of the last decade has now ballooned into a fundamental attack on uh trans rights um, i'm proud that the party has and indeed recommitted through this week uh formed the gender reform act i'm profoundly disappointed in what the government is doing in not not merely in denying trans people the reforms they the reforms they have asked for, but also in attempting to play different parts of the LGBT community off against each other. I think there is still plenty more we can do to tackle transphobia in the party. And I uh, have no time for those who seek to deny it. Uh, But I'm I'm always hopeful for the future. Um, LGBT Labour stands entirely behind the trans community. I'm proud that we're led um, by an exceptional trans woman who's dealt with a vast amount of flack on this very issue Um, and I'm hopeful for the future that's going to require engagement with all parties and above all action
1: Mm. Um, Now of course we've mentioned coronavirus and uh, the local elections uh, have of course been uh, delayed. they're meant to take place uh, this year they're taking place next year because of coronavirus what impact do you think um, coronavirus has had uh, on Earlsdon and what do you think um, will be the impact next year? Do you think that it will uh, still be as uh, much of a uh, an issue next year?
0: I think um, certainly from what I've heard from neighbours, from uh, friends from the, the limited circle of people, of course, we're allowed to see at the moment. Um, I think what the impact of coronavirus what more widely on the area has been that people have realised how much we rely upon one another, how much we need that circle of friends and acquaintances to really build and bind a society together and also how frightening it's been for people who for the first time have seen the cracks in the social security net for example which have grown up since 2010. Um, I hope that not not merely can we overcome the virus but we can also build back better that we can create a fairer society where the possibility of Facing mass unemployment or watching the response to a pandemic, where these cannot even be imagined, let alone happen, as we see today.
1: Uh, how do you think the government has dealt with the response to the coronavirus? Do you think that they have reacted poorly? What are your thoughts?
0: Um, I think I think I'd split this into two uh, into two parts. There's communications and there's actions. I think the initial advice, uh, stay home, uh, protect the NHS, that was a clear message. But since that was released in, must have been May time, Mm. we've seen a real lack of clear communication. Too often, different areas have been told different messages. We were all told to stay in our homes. Then we were all told to go to the pub. And now we're all being told to stay in our homes again. And I think it's that confusion which is wearing down people's patients. And that sounds trivial, but of course it's dangerous. If people are not prepared to go through with the viral control measures we need, then the virus will not be under control. So I think there's been a real lack of communication over the last few months and certainly a lack of clear communication. In terms of actual actions, I think that a lot of what the government has done has been necessary, but it's often been implemented badly with no reference to local leadership. Um, the way some northern councils and indeed councils in the Midlands saw on the front page of The Times today what was happening to their areas before they'd even been told mm. speaks volumes of how badly coordinated a lot of the actions have been. I think we were too slow off the mark in January. We should be making preparations then in the, in, instead of in March, which is when Boris Johnson chaired his first COVID meeting. Um, and I think, sadly, it's to it's be told out in a number of cases number of deaths our country has seen in comparison with comparable European nations or countries like New Zealand.
1: Um, Now, the government have criticised the Labour Party in terms of their response for uh, perhaps being uh, too much pointing out errors in hindsight and, 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 and this kind of thing. What is your reaction to that? Do you think that the Labour Party's response has been helpful? They've given the right response? I think that
0: throughout this, we've tried to take a the mature response that the seriousness of this emergency requires. It's not been a question of scoring points, rather saying that, yes, we share the government's ambition that we get the virus under control and we save lives. I think anybody would agree with that. But at the same time, as the opposition in a democracy, it is our duty to point out when the government is getting things wrong, when measures aren't working or when, like I said, messages are being badly communicated. I'm you know, I'm glad that while I'm sure it's frustrating for many people who want to see us constantly rip into the toys about everything, that we've chosen our battles, we've raised the important points about controlling the virus and above all, we've kept conquering the pandemic in the forethought of our minds rather than scoring political points at every opportunity. Um,
1: now, of course, next year is not only uh, local elections in England, but of course, there are uh, parliamentary elections in Wales and Scotland. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Labour's chances in those two elections?
0: Um Well, not being Welsh, not being Scottish, um, I suppose I'm not an expert, but I I remain hopeful. I think the wave of support that has come back to uh, the Labour Party in the last few months, judging by the polls at least, I'm hoping that that can turn into real gains on the ground. That means in English local elections, it means in Scotland and it means in Wales. Um, If that doesn't happen, then it's for Scottish Labour and for Welsh Labour to uh, to examine what goes wrong but we have some absolutely fantastic campaigners and some brilliant candidates um, in Wales and across the, across the whole UK so I'm, I remain very optimistic uh,
1: do you think that um, in terms of the next general election that uh, Labour's uh, pathway uh, back to power is going to be very much through uh, Scottish seats and those seats that are made up the the so-called red wall? Or do you think that Labour perhaps needs to turn its attention to other areas that it perhaps hasn't been as prominent in, like uh, the South West?
0: I mean, I always believe that there is nowhere that's unwinnable for us. Uh, it's about the messages you put out. It's how you explain your policies and, above all, what you promise the country. I don't think that this idea that Scotland is lost forever is true. This This isn't. Uh, this is something that people like to say, but I don't think it's got any basis. The idea that red wall seats are lost forever is also uh, a nonsense. If you look at where we were, say, nine eighty three 1983 or 1987 and then compare the sort of places we were winning in 1997, it's transformative. And that's the kind of massive gains we're going to need to go from 203 seats to 350, 360 seats we need to govern. It's an absolute massive challenge. It's a historic challenge but it's what I think we can make.
1: Uh, Now, of course, next year we will also uh, be seeing more of the effects of uh, Brexit. And it's looking like uh, we're going to leave the European Union without uh, a trade deal between the UK and the EU. Uh, What are your concerns about that for Earlston and uh, the West Midlands uh, in general?
0: I mean, how much time have you got, really? (laughs) Um, I think, I mean, it is wholeheartedly disappointing not to see that we're not going to get a trade deal as we were promised, but that the government and the prime minister himself is ripping up the very withdrawal agreement that he himself negotiated and was so proud about. It does it does quite beg a belief when you have a government that thinks it can promise to break international law and then also get a good trade deal, which is what the people of this country need. Um, two big concerns, which. Uh, very much come to my attention and people have mentioned to me um, one is on food standards um, which seemed like such a salient issue four or five years ago but now the idea of chicken washed in chlorine or hormones injected into beef is now really worrying for people i think we all fundamentally care about what goes on our plates and this idea that our excellent food standards could be traded away to try and get a trade deal with the united states is fundamentally worrying And the other one, which I have to mention, because, of course, it's the region of business, is the car industry. The West Midlands is the exporting hub of all of Britain, and the car industry is a central part in that. It not only does it support jobs directly, but the skills it fosters, the investment it brings in means that technological startups and connected companies across the entire region benefit from our car exporters. And, of course, that's so tightly tied into a web of trade Commerce across the entire EU that realistically it's going to be those manufacturing businesses, the very same ones the government claims it wants to champion, that will lose out if there is no trade deal signed. Um,
1: now, you mentioned uh, the car manufacturing industry there, and of course, proponents of um, Brexit and of uh, uh, a uh a no-deal scenario have suggested that, oh, well, uh, it'll be uh, easy without all this red tape for, for Britain to be able to uh, export cars across uh, the world and won't have any of these restrictions and all that sort of thing. What do you say to that argument? Uh, I'm... I think
0: that the people who make that don't tend to understand the process by which we make cars in Britain. The idea that we construct whole vehicles like we did in the 60s or 70s is fundamentally flawed. The cars built in Britain today are often assembled from parts that have crossed international boundaries half a dozen times. They rely on the sharing of intellectual property between the EU and Britain. I think that we may end up exchanging the existing uh, bureaucratic regime for one that's far, far denser and more difficult to deal with if we just discount the idea that the car industry must be protected. The, you know, the revival of the car industry in Britain and in the West Midlands has been one of our great success stories over the last few years um, since the 1990s really. And I would like to see it continue to flourish. And I can't see that happening without a trade deal.
1: Um And of course, uh, one of the other uh, concerns that has been voiced regarding uh, Brexit has been uh, the relationship between the United Kingdom and Ireland, and in particular, the relationship between the Republic of Ireland and uh, Northern Ireland. Now, uh, one of the things that has brought this concern is uh, the Internal Market Bill, which is going through uh, Parliament at the moment, Which opponents of which uh, suggest will harm the Good Friday Agreement. If the Good Friday Agreement is in some way in danger through uh, the government's action, what do you think uh, Labour's reaction to that should be?
0: I mean, the only thing we can do when it comes to the Good Friday Agreement is defend it wholeheartedly. It has been the keystone to peace. It's what's made the troubles for the likes of you and me something that's historical, not in the news every single day, as it was for our parents. No, I'm, I'm so proud that the Good Friday Agreement was signed by a, a Labour government, that Mo put her name to it and, and has brought a far, far more peaceful presence to the, uh, the island of Ireland and communities in Northern Ireland specifically. This idea that we can somehow get around it or ignore it is fundamentally wrong. There's far too many people, I think, on this side of the IRC who are putting their ideas, their abstract concepts of what trade should look like above the lives and security of the people in Northern Ireland. Uh,
1: Now, turning away uh, from Brexit uh, for a moment, uh, of course, this November, uh, in 27 days, in fact, we will be seeing uh, the US presidential election between um, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Uh, Just in general, what are your uh, thoughts on the uh, US presidential election? Um, I suppose
0: my first thought is: Has it really only been four years? It seems slightly a bit more like forty, um, but that's the effect of having Donald Trump as president of the United States. I think. Um, I suppose the the risk is that we all get incredibly excited about the prospect of him losing, and then he wins. Um, but to credit Biden and Harris, they they have such a they have a commanding lead in the polls, uh, more so than. Um, uh, Clinton did or indeed even Obama did in places and more the point that the the messages that we've seen this week um, I'm thinking of Joe Biden's speech at Gettysburg example have been about unity have been about healing those divisions that Trump has opened up so I'm hopeful but I, I'm not going to put any money on the result.
1: Um, Now, of course, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, Senator Harris there. And of course, uh, yesterday uh, was the vice presidential debate between uh, Senator Harris and Vice President uh, Pence. Uh, Do you uh, think that the uh, contrast between uh, that debate and the first debate uh, between Donald Trump and and Joe Biden shows something that is perhaps wrong with our politics that, you know, uh, on one hand, we can have uh, debates that are perhaps not uh, entirely without disagreement, but are uh, well-mannered. But at the same time, we can have uh, debates that are just complete and utter um, uh, dumpster fires, for for want of a better phrase. Do do you think that that's something that's an issue with our politics at the moment?
0: I don't think it's so much an issue with politics in general. I think it's an issue with Donald Trump that nobody else would think that they could get away with acting like that. I think Biden did a heroic job of keeping his cool throughout the whole process, the sort of quality you'd actually need if you're going to be commander-in-chief. And the few moments when he did get annoyed, I think he, he echoed what many people were thinking. Um, but again, even in the vice-presidential debate, uh, Pence is a cleverer man and a much, um, I think what you might call a much more traditional political operator. But the way he talked over. Um, uh, Kamala Harris was absolutely disgusting. It just goes to show that the contempt that some men have for women in politics is never going to is well hasn't gone away.
1: Mm. Um, now, of course, if Joe Biden uh, wins the presidential uh, election, he will be faced with uh, Brexit and the potential for a uh, trade agreement uh, with the United Kingdom. Uh, what are your thoughts about a potential uh, Biden? johnson relationship do you think that biden may be able to uh, curb some of the uh, excesses of brexit that perhaps uh, donald trump to, uh, donald trump has uh, encouraged in the british government
0: i mean i think this ties in very much with your question on the good friday agreement um that i think that if we completely break all our promises to our neighbors in ireland the chance of getting any deal out of any american presidency is frankly minimal um, of course it's not just a potential biden presidency it's also the states, the house and senate we've got to think about mm. but i mean i would like to think that a biden a harris victory is going to show uh, the likes of uh, johnson and mr cummings that their that their their uh, politics of shouting and ignoring science is ultimately unsuccessful. Hopefully, hopefully that would make them reconsider, but I'm not enormously hopeful that they would.
1: Uh, We're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's great uh, to have uh, had you on, uh, Anthony. I've got uh, one final question for you. Now, of course, uh, we have been discussing uh, your run, your candidacy for next year's uh, local uh, elections. Um, So my question to you is this. If you are successful in uh, being elected, uh, becoming a councillor, um, what victory meal would you uh, most <laughs> like to have uh, if you win?
0: Oh, my God, the agony of choice. <laughs> I, was gonna, I can't have another one on complicated geopolitics. I could probably give you an answer for that. Um, oh, so much choice. But I think I'd like to take uh, my partner and uh, our sort of Closest friends and inner circle uh, for the campaign team, uh, coffee permitting, of course. And I like to go to the uh, the Bombay Palace, which is just on the high street outside us. It's our absolute favourite curry place, and it is delicious every time we go.
1: Well, that sounds like uh, an excellent uh, meal. And if uh, people want to find out more about uh, your campaign, uh, where should they go to to find out more about it?
0: Oh, thanks. On Twitter, I am Ant for Labour. Um, at Ant for Labour and on Facebook my page is Ant for Earlston
1: Excellent Thank you once again for coming on the podcast Oh, well, Thank you for having me Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music You can also follow us on Twitter at Debated Podcast Like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast and if you'd like to get in touch with us whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at the at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.